I'll be honest with you guys, not that I'm uh, not stubborn, because I won't confess to that after last Saturday, Sunday morning. Um, but more so than, than just being stubborn and not wanting to go to a doctor and not wanting to bill and not wanting to get put to sleep and not wanting my esophagus stretched and not wanting something shoved down my, my throat, I really didn't want to go anywhere last week because I didn't want to miss this chapter. Uh, chapter 22 is awesome. Uh, when I first read it in so many verses and, and prayer went all over it on, on God, what do you, what do you really want to accomplish through, through all this and, and these chapters and all? And then, then something hit me, which I think is, is so spot on and so awesome. David preaches the whole gospel in this chapter. I mean, literally the gospel from beginning to end and, and current, because I hope you understand the gospel is a current thing too. It's not just a one said and done thing, uh, is preached all the way through this chapter. And, and like I told you before in Psalm 18, more even so than that, what's really neat is this chapter wraps up what we began, I think, almost a year ago in First Samuel. Uh, so if you've got your Bible and, and you can look back to to First Samuel and you got to chapter two and you saw what started this whole thing when we called it a search for a king, and you had Hannah who who was barren and and, and prayed and, and then she's delivered this this son who's going to become a, a prophet and and, and and a spokesman and and in that she gets to chapter two and I'm just gonna. I'll just go flip back and read, read just a little bit of what, what she says in chapter two. And you tell me if it sounds familiar to all the things that we've looked at through the life of David up until this point, which by the way, we're getting really to the end of, of David's career. Um, matter of fact, last week is technically his, his last words, uh, which Danny's been practicing and is ready for. Um, so he will read it much better than I will. I will go ahead and tell you. Um, and it is almost just as long. But but look at what Hannah says all the way back in chapter 2. And, and I'm just going to point out a couple of them. And you tell me, you know, what sounds familiar. She says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up. There's no one holy like you, Yahweh. There's no one besides you. There's no rock like you, my God. So I do not boast proudly in myself. I do not let arrogant words come out of my mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and action. The bows of the warriors are broken. The feebler clothes. She goes on talking about how much God brings to the to the poverty and the wealth and how much he humbles those and he raises the poor and, and, and all this stuff. And then at the very end, she then closes out this this poem, which I think is funny. She's got a poem that begins it all. And we get David with a with really two poems that end it all because next week's kind of a, a song poem, too. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder in the heavens against them. Yahweh will judge the ends of the earth. He will give power to his king. We will lift up the horn of his anointed. Now, she don't even have a clue who the king is when she says this. Keep in mind, this is pre-Saul. Her son being the man who's going to speak life into David and tell him exactly what he's going to be. And she's already talking about, man, God, you're going to give power to this king and you're going to lift up the horn of his anointed. You're going to keep this thing Going because you, Lord, Yahweh, will judge the ends of the earth. She even talks about shattering the heavens with thunder. And then David brings it forth. What's really cool is this. So you've got, you've got this beginning, which remember, the, the people were in spiritual barrenness. I mean, this was a dark time for Samuel. I mean, this, this was evil. The people had went their own ways. It even says that. The people had left God and decided to do their own thing and called their own thing right and their own thing wrong. Uh, maybe like we do today. Um, so we need to wake up. But but it, but in that, she speaks of what she sees coming in faith. And then we get to the day in chapter 22, and David is speaking in what he has seen in action. So you start with faith, a lady who sees something coming. She has no idea. 
I mean, she's really she's proclaiming all this stuff and she's talking all this, but it's all in faith. She hasn't seen any of it live yet. And then you've got David at this this moment years and years later. And he's saying this is what happened. And it's almost like he's saying, Hannah, you knew exactly what God was giving you the wisdom to write down and say in your song, because this is what I've seen. So Hannah, you could say expected. David, you could say experienced. So the question then this morning as we jump into a topic like the gospel is, are you expecting or are you experiencing or is it okay to do both? Shouldn't we have an expectation? And from that expectation, however long, however many storms, however many times in the caves we got to go to, shouldn't there be an experience? That's where David's at. He had no idea, but 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 he's, he's gotten there. And, and we started this thing again with, with Hannah using ordinary people in ordinary circumstances. So don't you think because we talk about David, this isn't about you. Because God loves to take ordinary people and ordinary circumstances and do extraordinary things for his purpose with them. And I fully believe that's what God does. And when we grab a hold of, of the gospel and understanding our relationship with God, it changes our, our, the way we work. It changes our relationship with people. It changes our worship style. It changes our religion, our relationship with friends, our passions, our even our pains change when we get a hold of, of what God is doing here, okay? So, so when we get to this, and here's another thing I want you to understand, just kind of for you note takers as you, as you look at this. Second, Second Samuel is really not guaranteed to be in chronological order. So for you type A personalities, that's probably driven you nuts. You probably did some studying and you're like, hold on, how is this? here and that there and and some of you are like me and cliff and you're like who really cares about the order let's just preach what the preacher said you know what i'm saying so (laughs) but but some of you have studied you checked out like hold on that that wasn't quite right there and even when you see this 22 you're like hold on i think that might have first happened when he first got delivered from king saul and you might be right i think and this is just personally when you read samuel 20 second samuel 22 and then you go back and see it repeated very similarly in Psalm 18. I think this was a song David worshiped to all the time. I think this became like David's life song. And he sang it when he first got delivered from Saul. And he sang it when he first got delivered from the Philistines. And he might even sing it when he was getting delivered from bears and lions and wolves. And I think he sang it again here at the very end. And I think every time David had this moment of doubt, this moment of question, this moment of struggle and streak. I think he pulled out his notebook because you know he was a music writer, right? I think he pulled it out and maybe even got out the harp again that he used to play for King Saul. And I think he had him a worship experience. And I think he got down right there wherever he was and he just got down to whatever you want to title Second Samuel 22. I got it the Gospel of David. So I don't know if that works for naming your own song after yourself, but uh, it'd be cool if that's what he did. So, so I mean, this is just an awesome, awesome part or what David is doing here, guys. And we need to understand that, that we need to find something like that for ourselves. If we get nothing else before we even jump into the gospel, of prayer and say, you need to find yourself like a song that's like yours. Like you sing it in the shower. You sing it in the car. You sing it while you're crying. You sing it so much. Your kids are like, for God's sake, shut that song off. We're tired of hearing it. Right. And then you say, but this is why I'm singing it. You get to throw a lesson into them on it. Right. But this, this is exactly what David is doing in this thing. And I think that's why we get variations of this. I don't think God needed one more chapter in this big old book. I think God just wanted us to see like it's changed because he probably sang this song a lot of times and changed it. Maybe, you know, something new comes up all the time, right? You can't sing from being delivered from, from your own son until you get delivered from your own son. So 
Maybe when he first got delivered from Saul, he was writing it this way. And at the end, he has to remember another thing that, that God does for him. Now, when I say the, the gospel and all your points today are themed off of that, here's, here's what also blows my mind. David is writing this a thousand years before the mention of Jesus Christ. Now, we know Jesus Christ is coming from David's line, which makes this super important and super awesome. But a thousand years before Jesus left his throne in heaven, might sound familiar from some of the lines we just read, and, and broke open the clouds and came down to earth, David writes about it. And he connects to it and he feels it and he relates to it. So that is why this morning is called the gospel according to David. So point number one, we see in the first four verses, and no, we will not get to do line by line of every verse when there's 51 verses, okay? So rest assured you will get to lunch on time and it'll be all right. Number one, you got to grasp God's nature. Something so simple. And maybe that's why David repeats this thing at the end is because this is the simple things us as believers sometimes forget to apply to our daily lives. Sometimes we forget just to grasp God's nature. This whole thing, and I'll say it now, even though we're going to say it at the end, this whole thing begins and ends with God. David starts at the very beginning. It begins with his awareness of who God is, God's nature, God's attributes, God's purposes, God's ways. Just look down at the first four verses. And if you take this chapter and next week's chapter, by the way, there is over 50 metaphors for God. That's 50 pictures of who God is and what David's thinking about as he's writing this stuff. And I'm a big picture thing, and I think a lot of us are. So, so just look and shout out a couple of them. I think we've got at least 10 in the first four verses. What pictures do we see of the nature of God that David's calling out? I'll treat you like I do on a Wednesday night. I'll stare at you till you answer it. Don't bother me. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't bother me none. What is it? He's a refuge. What else is he? He's a rock. He's salvation. Shield. Deliverer. Fortress. Savior. Redeemer. Deliverer goes with that too. Worthy of praise. One more word picture at least. Well, Hightower goes with fortress. The blink of my salvation. Horn. Ten word pictures that David's just sitting here thinking about God during a, during like his his daily walk. Now, what I love is he didn't stop with one. And sometimes maybe I think that's where we get in trouble. We like get one word picture of God and we just we run with that one thing and that's it. You got a tiny God if you only get one word picture. You know what I'm saying? David could say he's got title upon title upon title in praising God. I mean, he just gets down on this thing about the work God's doing, how big and comprehensive and what God is. And he says it can't be contained into one title in one word. And David can say this and know this because here's what it is. David experienced the Lord's deliverance. And if you hadn't experienced the Lord's deliverance, you might not have this section in your writing. Think about David. He, he was rescued from the lion, the bear, the wolf. He was probably rescued from his brother since he was the littlest and the youngest at some point. He delivered him from Goliath. He delivered him from Saul. God delivered David from backsliding. Doesn't just have to be a physical enemy. He delivered David from Israel's enemies themselves. He delivered uh, David from Absalom. He delivered David from, from his own sinful passions. 
Look at all the things David experienced deliverance from. And because of that, he can say in verse three, in whom I will trust. Now, some of your translations may use the word refuge where the word trust is. But here's what we need to grab hold of. When we see who God is, it becomes so easy to trust him. So if you haven't seen who God is, it's no wonder you can't trust him. You can't trust somebody that you haven't seen how amazing they are. Now, not to say that faith doesn't completely depend on knowledge, but the right knowledge of God gives great strength to our faith. And we've got to apply that in our daily walk. Each title was so meaningful to David because God fulfilled each of those titles in David's life. This is not like you you did a Wednesday night systematic theology study on the names of God. This is a guy who's taken the knowledge of God and combined it with the experience of God and is now writing about it. Now, don't get me wrong. Systematic theology is great and and getting you some education is wonderful. And checking out the Hebrew and all these names and all that stuff can have some wonderful meaning. But if your knowledge stops right there and you never experience the nature of God. Man, you're missing out on so much. You're missing out on so much, right? It's almost like that fine line we have in the world today. where We get people who are so educated and they can't get a job. Why? Because what's what's the, there's two requirements every time you apply for a job is we want experience and we want education or qualification. All right. But if you get one without the other, what do they tell you? Well, if you got the if you got the if you got the if you got the uh, education without the experience, they say, well, we love your your love your degree, but but you've got no experience and we're looking for somebody who's who's been there. Well, well that's good. I can't get there unless you let me get there. So. Uh, that, that, that theory doesn't work real well for you. Or if they've got all experience and know, what do they tell? Well, you know, you, you're just lacking. Somebody outdid you here on, on the education thing. I really believe God's more about experience personally, but I think there's got to be that fine line of both. Because your experience makes you investigate the knowledge. And then your knowledge wants you to check out more experience. And you get like David. Because here's where David has, and here's what I really figured out in reading this. David is so wrapped up in God, Everywhere he goes, he sees God. He's walking around the kingdom and there's like the tower and he's like, God's my strong tower. Right. He's my fortress. You know, he's walking around. He sees the wall. He's like, God God is my wall against my enemy. And he walks and he sees one of the soldiers carrying a a shield. He's like, God, God is my shield. You know, and he's going on and on on all this stuff and, and all these titles. And he's thinking about all that it means about the protection and the strength and the conquest. And he sees the horn. and He's like, God is my horn. Like he, he's the one who calls out and then gets the army ready. And, and he does this and, and he's doing all this stuff. And he keeps on walking around and checking all this thing out. And then you got to picture this one thing. And maybe it's just me because I'm picturing David doing this, right? He's walking around. He's calling everything out. And then like he stubs his toe on a rock. That's for me because I stub my toe on everything. And it makes me be very tempted in my religion to not say things I shouldn't say. And, and you know what I'm saying or shouldn't be saying. So, so, so he gets there and he stubs his toe on this rock and he's like, God is my rock for so many reasons. Cause think about it. Now for me and you, if, we're, if you're, if you're sitting down with a little kid and you're like, God and rock in a little kid, you'll be like, that's the dumbest thing you ever heard. Like a rock is the bottom of creation. It is like the bare minimum. It is like the nothing. It, but God takes even like the really small nothings and he builds a solid foundation on them. And then you go forth and you're like, well, let me tell you why else he's a rock. Because if you build on the strong foundation, he becomes your your fortress and that strong tower is built on that foundation. 
Nothing can, nothing can break it down. Even when stuff is broke down, you can rebuild on it again. You don't have to like redig a new foundation if the foundation is right. And maybe even in stubbing my toe, he's being a rock and wanting to, to progress me into being a better believer uh, and not say bad words. So you, you've got all this going into this thing. And here's the truth, man. Here's the truth we got to get at the very beginning of this whole, this whole message for today. The gospel has to begin with God because until we've seen God as perfect, holy, and powerful, we can't even begin to understand why we need a Savior. So David has to start with this section on checking it out. And when David finally realizes who God really is, it leads him into something, and it should lead you into this. Point number two, you got to get an observation of my nature. So you grasp a hold of God's nature, and then you absorb, observe, not absorb, you observe my nature. Once again, think about David and what he's doing. Now look at verses five and six. For the waves of death engulf me. The torments of destruction terrify me. The ropes of Sheol entangle me. That's hell, by the way. The snares of death confronted me. Man, that's a rough picture David's at right now. You talk about going from one end of the spectrum to the other real quickly. But notice how it changes. One, he's describing God. The next, he's talking about himself. So God, like it gets like an Isaiah moment. God, you are so high and lifted up. You are holy, holy, holy. And I, I am just, I'm not. I'm low. Low, low. And he gets this moment and in getting this moment, he understands just how far short he misses God's standard. And I, and I think the whole point of just those short little verses is for us to relate. But David understand we're not perfect either. Now, there's this perfect story. I don't know if you all heard it about the, the perfect guy who got with the perfect girl. They had the perfect engagement. They had the perfect little life together. And then they had the perfect wedding. And of course, then they had a perfect marriage. And then they were driving on a, on a snowy day and they saw this, this old guy sitting on the side of the road and they pulled over and they realized it was Santa Claus. And they're like, holy crap, Santa Claus, like, what are you doing? Like, we're perfect. So we will, we will make sure that all the kids get all the toys and, and everything is, is great and, and everything's going on here and, and all this stuff. And, and they do this and they get him in the car and they load up all his bags and all his toys and they start driving on this beautiful snowy day. And, and then there's this crash. And only one person survives. You know who it was? <laughs> I realized we were on kids worship today, so uh, yeah, I think I had to. Yeah, I think I had to change this punchline just a little bit. <laughs> There's one survivor, and it's the perfect woman because she's the only one that exists. How about that? Huh? Right? Now, now everybody's thinking like, oh. Yeah, now I get it. Yeah. The rest of the men in the room were like, well, there's no perfect man, there's no Santa Claus. The perfect woman was driving, and now we know why there was an accident. So None of us are perfect, man. None of us. No matter how good you are, no matter how close you come to measure up to God's standard of perfection, here, here's the matter. David, a guy after God's own heart, he's an adulterer and a murderer. And you can relate with that one thing, but but here's one thing. We've been talking about on Wednesday night with some of the stuff that James tells us to do and the standards. Like James is here. He sounds real harsh. But then we have to keep being reminded on Wednesday night. But Jesus said even the ideas like count. So it's not like James sounds real harsh and real mean and, and he's spot on and getting stuff going. But then Jesus is like, if you even looked at that woman with the miniskirt, if you even had hate in your mind for your brother, 
Don't we see how the, how, 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 the, how this is elevated and, and how this is so different? And then you look at what David's saying. Well, hold on. If I'm in this, if I'm in this era of things right here, what does scripture say about me that, that David is repeating? And David is saying this. He feels like he himself is dead in this condition. Paul writes it this way to the Ephesians chapter two. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Think about think about Hannah's thing. That's where that first part at. That, that is people who are following the, their own ways and doing it their own their own way and getting their own stuff done. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful and following its desires and thoughts. Hmm. You remember when you were bound by cravings and desires and those cravings and desires weren't the good cravings and desires? Like the rest, we were the nature Nature objects of wrath. We were dead. That's that's not a pretty picture either, right? We were dead. Without the grace of God, that's exactly spiritually where every single one of us are. And, and when David is writing this and, and he's thinking about this, he's like, guys, we have to compare ourselves to the sinless perfection, holiness of God. And we were dead in our transgressions and in our sins at that moment. And that's an important concept because you ever seen a dead person resuscitate themselves? You ever seen a dead person give themselves CPR? You ever seen the dead person get up and go to the uh, fellowship hall and grab the defibrillator and put stuff up and clear? No, dead people can't do that. You need somebody to do that, right? So when we get this spiritual picture of we were dead, we need to understand we can't rescue ourselves. You can't. You need somebody to breathe life rack in you. You you need somebody to to hook the, the defibrillator up to you and shock you. The point David is making here, when he absorbs his own nature, it's not just how bad he is in missing God's mark. It's that he can't save himself. He's entangled. You, you ever been tangled up? Any of you country boys, girls ever like ran through the woods and you like ran through a spider web like a good one? You know what I'm saying? Like it's all around your face. It's in your hair. You don't know what's crawling on you. Right. And you're like, I feel you're all trapped. That's how David's describing it. He's like, man, I'm entangled by, by this feeling of death and there's nothing I can do about it. I can't get out of it. Right. Or like when you're a little kid, you try to sneak into the woods as far as you can get. And dad's calling you back and you're like, I can't get out like I'm trapped. Right. And you know, you're getting in trouble. So the longer you stay trapped, the worse it's going to be when you get out. You might as well start grabbing switches while you come out the woods, you know, to make, make the process a little bit better. That That's how David's describing it. Which is so important because understand this, spiritually we're incapable of rescuing ourselves, which has to lead us to step number three in the gospel that David preaches verse seven. Stop trying to rescue yourself. That's it. Everything today is so simple, right? Grasp God's nature, observe your own nature, and stop trying to rescue yourself. Look at verse seven. What's he say? I called to the Lord in my distress. I love that picture, man. He didn't wait that he was good. He didn't wait till things were better. He didn't wait till the sun was shining again. He called to the Lord in my distress. I called to my God. Look at the personal, personal uh, thing here. My God from his temple. He heard my voice. David is so assured of what God does that he says, I called out to God and God heard me. Like there's, there's no, well, I, I tried praying and I don't know if God really heard what, what I was trying to tell him and, and I'm not sure if he's listening. David says, no, I know God heard me. Now, part of being a believer is understanding God hears you even when he don't answer you the way you want to be answered. 
Because he's God. You've got to observe or grasp the nature of God. His nature is higher than your nature. So if you don't answer your way, I don't mean he wouldn't listen. Don't, don't lose that, that thought of it, right? That just means your way was wrong. Right? From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry for help reached his ears. I don't know any, has any of us ever been so lost or in such a bad spot like we cry out and we don't know if somebody hears us? Like whether you were in the woods or, or, or you know, in a pool house room choking on a steak because your esophagus swole around it and you weren't sure how loud the voice was coming out of your airway. You ever been there? None of you? Well, you're missing out on a blast. Uh, you should really experience it. Do it on like a Sunday morning about 3 a.m. and makes it really exciting for a way to start your week off. Uh, you know, but, but if you've ever been there, if not, just picture it. Now, we've got a lot of evil stuff going in the, in, in the world right now. So we can picture some people who get in certain situations where they can't rescue themselves. And I wonder if they cry out just wondering if somebody's hearing. They're just screaming, help. Or, or, you know, maybe it's just something as simple as falling in a hole or getting lost in the woods or, or, or getting trapped in a car or, you know, a door that, that locked and, and wouldn't let you out or whatever it is. And you're just yelling. And you keep yelling until your voice is sore because you don't know if anybody hears you. That ain't David. David says he hears my cries. Man, increase your faith and understand God hears your cries. And don't listen to that bullcrap the devil tries to throw at you at thinking you got to get yourself in a good situation before you can cry out to God. David said, I cried out to God while I was in my distress. You picture him, folks. You picture some of the moments David's been in. I bet he cried out to God when he saw a wolf coming across the field to get one of his sheep or the bear, the lion or whichever it was at that moment. I bet when his brothers came home from school and they knew he was going to beat the crap out of him again, he was cried out in distress. I bet right after committing adultery, he sat on the end of his bed and he cried out in distress. I bet right after he sent an order to kill somebody who was supposed to be one of his best men, he cried out in distress. And I bet every time that guy who helped him get it all done, his face was in front of him, he paused for a minute to cry out in distress. But I think every time he cried out in a moment of distress, he didn't have to worry if God was human because he had faith enough to know that my, my cries will make the ears of God. And he will hear my cry out for him. Stop trying to rescue yourself. Right? David didn't try to rescue himself. He, he knew he couldn't. Now, that's the hardest thing for some people. Especially when we sit in church, even if you profess you believe in God and profess your own nature of being a sinner, you still got this mentality of thinking like God's got this big scoreboard. And as long as you can get more positives than negatives, like you get to earn God's favor. Man, that's the furthest thing from the truth. And that's a scary place to be because your motivations are so wrong and so evil. Then The problem here when we have that kind of idea with God is the problem goes all the way back to what we thought of God, the beginning, grasping God's nature, because if I believe God is holy, then therefore I know God can't allow sin or evil at any experience into his presence. So it doesn't matter that I got more good than I got bad. What matters is that God is holy and I am not. So even one thing disqualifies me from being able to be made in his presence. Maybe it's why Paul writes also in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9, he says, salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done so that no one can boast about it. Let's make sure like you guys can't you guys are trying to boast about how holy you are and how religious you are. You need to understand it's nothing to do with you. It's all to do with him. And David realizes this and he realizes that I'm dead and I can't rescue myself. It only leaves one option. Once you, you now remember now, this is a different step. You got to stop trying to rescue yourself before you can 
be rescued, right? You ever see people when they're drowning in the water? Think about it. If they don't stop swinging elbows and, and hands and stuff going crazy everywhere, who's going to be able to rescue them? I mean, hopefully a guy swings up and punches him in the face, knocks him out, and it's easy, and, and we drag him out. But not every rescuer can do that, right? <laughs> you know, hey, you got to stop failing, man. I'm trying to save your life here. But, but think about that. Until you stop, what's the first thing they say? Calm down, I'm here. Calm down, I'm here. Even even lifeguard. Calm down, I'm here. If you don't calm down, I'm going to elbow you in the mouth, and this is going to be dead, right? But you have to stop. I don't want God to elbow me in the mouth. All right, I just want to stop on my own. <laughs> All right, you got to start rescuing yourself. So here, and here's where we go. Number four. Once you stop, you place your trust in what God's already done. Place your trust in what God's already done. Eight through 20. I don't have time to go through all the next verses, okay? So I'm just going to grab a couple that stood out to me big time. Eight through 20, very first thing that struck out. It says, then the earth shook. Then the earth shook. I don't know, anybody get any good uh, thunder and lightning all last night? Anybody's house kind of feel like it was rattling? Is that That's kind of like a cool but scary moment, right? When, when you feel the house shake, you're like, wow, that was, that was pretty intense. Could you imagine if you were like David and you write the whole earth was shaking like my trailer was shaking, right? The whole earth shook like my house shook, right? And, and he's describing this and, he, and he's getting this. And think about this picture that he's painting right here, guys. This is awesome. The significant way he describes God leaving his throne in heaven. Look at eight through 20. Coming to his servants cry. He talks about him parting the clouds. You guys get out the way I'm coming through, right? Descending to fight the king's battles for him. Earthquakes, thunders, storms, lightning, all that stuff's in this, in this section right here, right? This is a vivid, vivid picture David's got going of God coming down from heaven to rescue him. And then he gets to this section in verse 20. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Oh, man. What? Not only is God doing all this, but, but he delights in me. His plea for deliverance was rooted in a relationship, not a desire to survive. Huge, huge. Grasp this and understand this. God loves us so much that he looked down in our hopeless condition. He left his throne in heaven to come down to earth to rescue us. What? The funny thing is, is we see this today. We know where this is going. I don't know if David knew. Well, actually, I know he didn't know. Think about it. David is writing about God leaving his throne in heaven to come to earth to rescue us a thousand years before Jesus was even mentioned. And what happens? God leaves his throne in heaven, breaks and makes a way to come to earth, go to a cross, live a life, die for us to rescue who? Us. David is preaching the gospel before the gospel even existed by our terms of the word gospel. Right? Look at what he's singing. Verse 17, 18, right before that part. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of the deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, uh, from my foes who were too strong for me. Man, can you feel and relate to this? You've been surrounded by enemies that were just too strong for you. Now, don't think of enemies as people. You've been surrounded by a situation that was too much for you. Maybe you put yourself there. Maybe you didn't. I don't care. Neither does God. Right? Once you get through all this acknowledging part, he don't care how you got there. He's just going to get you out of there. Right? Rescue mission 101. Okay? And God doesn't just do that. And here's the biggest part. God didn't just do it for David. He does it for us. And if we miss that part, if we missed everything, this is exactly what God has done for every single one of us. It's a rescue mission. And here's the thing. You say, do we have a part in this rescue mission? Yes, yeah, a certain part. A certain part. You try to take lead of the rescue mission and you don't know the rescue mission, you screw the rescue mission up. 
Okay? But if you don't take lead and just follow, follow the offer, accept the offer, placing our faith and trust in God and what he's done, then you get on board with what God's doing. And we get to some of this more in another point. Paul says it this way, Romans 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe in or justify and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Every part of you has got a part. And God does his part. If I want God to rescue me, I have to trust in Jesus Christ. I've got to give him control of my life not, not enough to say, you know what, Jesus, I want some fire insurance. Help me get out of hell. Right? It, it's not enough. Not enough to, to, to say, Jesus, I'm going to get you and I'm going to do some of this other stuff just in case. Then you're not completely trusting in Jesus, right? If you got to do Jesus and some other stuff just in case. It, it's not Jesus plus something. Now, now, we think Jesus plus good works. We think Jesus plus Allah, Jesus plus Buddha, Jesus plus Muhammad, Jesus plus these new age rituals. It's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus is it. Jesus alone. God doesn't need our help or want our help in rescuing us. He wants our surrender. In fact, every time we try to control the operation, we're going to mess it up to think more on this. So if my good works are worthless, if that's what we're looking at, right? Well, what are the good works? Like, do they have a part? Then yes. Yes, they do. The order is so important. That's why the order is right now, right? Number five, excel in my faith as God equips me. That's part of the gospel, guys. See, we got this this idea of the gospel just being Christ coming to earth and dying for our sins. And the good news is just we're getting saved and that's it. No. No, you fall short. On missing what the gospel is. Part of the gospel, number five, is to excel in my faith as God equips me. Look at 41 through 40. Matter of fact, look at 21 through 25 first. Because we get the completely wrong idea about what's going on if we're not careful on 21 through 25. 21 through 25. It sounds like David's saying he's perfect. Right? Look at it. I'm righteous. Ain't no fault in me. Right? That's pretty, pretty high horse to be sitting on. But this is after what? Point one, point two, point three, and point four. The order. The order. This is after. Now we don't know exactly when this part was written, but maybe David sang the song after Bathsheba's event. Maybe he sang it right there at 2 Samuel chapter 12 also. Because we know it, we know he originally sung it when he, when he was rescued from Saul. So he's already sung this thing at least once. Pre-Bathsheba, maybe he sings it again right there when Nathan comes in and looks at him and says, man, you screwed up. Do you know what you did? And then uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, David looked at Nathan and he said, I have sinned against the Lord Yahweh. And it's one thing to hear like a man confess that part, right? But man, the most beautiful part is the second part of that verse where Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. Wow. You ever got your hand caught in a cookie jar? And you're like, man, <laughs> you tried to grab too many cookies if it got literally. Right? But, 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 but you get there and you're like, man, once you get caught, you're like, what's the punishment going to be? And like some, some of the worst thing about getting in trouble, maybe this was more so as a kid, was you wonder what the punishment's going to be. And that weight. You know what I'm saying? Like, sure, you took the car when you weren't supposed to, or you got a speeding ticket, or or whatever it was that you did dumb, or or you played games on your telephone that daddy's gonna throw in the woods when we get home um, as punishment. You, you got all that going on, and you gotta sit and think about it. I'm not really gonna throw your phone, calm down, it's all right. Right? You, you, you gotta you gotta think about it, and you're like, man, the, the worst part now for me it was while I was in school. 
I wasn't always the quietest person in the room, so I got in a lot of trouble for talking. Right? It's just a lot. I know it's hard to believe. But but in doing that, I would get in trouble and I would have to wait all day. Because teacher done told me I done called your mama. She got a voicemail right now. They don't have cell phones back then. You ain't left no voicemail, right? So you left the answer machine. So <laughs> but 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 it was there, so all day I had to think about. Dang, what's gonna happen when I get home? Is mom gonna be home first or dad gonna be home first? Right? Like what what's the beating gonna be with? How bad is it gonna be? What am I going to lose? In this process, am I going to lose something and the dad get home and be like, no, that's not enough. You get a beaten too. Am I going to get both? Like, what is it going to be? And you start weighing all this on you and you're like, man, I can't take it. Right. That's where we get sometimes, though, guys. We're so, we're so like worried about about all this stuff. We need to understand excelling your faith that God's equipping you to understand that you can be like David and you can hear the words of Nathan saying the Lord Yahweh has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. David knew he was a sinner. He knew he was in trouble, but he recognized God's grace and mercy. And he also acknowledged the fact that God chose to take away the consequences of his sin and forgive him from it and cleanse him from it. The order is so important. Notice this part of 22 comes after God's rescued David. They can't come before, guys. They can't. And we need to understand that, right? Paul says it this way. God made him, talking about Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in it we might become the righteousness of God. Now we're starting to understand, man, what David means when he says, I'm righteous because in God's eyes, he's made me righteous. But when you view yourself that way, you don't get on a high horse. David wasn't on a high horse, like running around the kingdom saying, I'm righteous and you're not. No, he had like a, a mutual respect of understanding God made me righteous. So therefore I should act righteous. Right? No different if you play ball for a team and you get to wear that that uniform. You represent that team. So you have that respect of I'm going to make sure I represent this jersey the right way. Well, every single believer wears Team Jesus uh, jersey, if you want to call it that, okay? And the world is we are clothed in his righteousness. So it's not, not a fictitious jersey, right? We are clothed in his righteousness and the world sees it and the world is watching. And the world wants to know if we trample his righteousness or if his righteousness changes us. For the right way and the right kind. It changed David so much. Now, I don't know if this is exactly what David meant, guys, when he talks about this, but a lot of scripture talks about righteousness being and how we treat our enemies. It changed David so much. Do you remember how he treated his enemies from beginning to end? He treated them rightly. He did. Maybe maybe this one little section, he's, he's reminding God, God, I know you will judge me the way I've judged my enemies, and I just need to remind you, like, I dealt rightly with them. Can you say that? Can you say you've dealt rightly with your enemies? So David was righteous in the eyes of God because God made him righteous. But it doesn't mean that he's free to live any way. Because look at what he says in verse 29. Lord, you are my lamp. The Lord illuminates my darkness. Then he goes into being a barricade. Then he goes into taking refuge again. Then he goes into being that rock and that refuge and, and, and making feet like a deer. I don't know if you've ever seen a deer run, but that's a pretty thing running, right? Some of y'all might have saw one yesterday. Some of y'all might have stopped it from running. That's a good thing, right? Sets me secretly on the heights. Remember when you get your meat back. He trains my hands for war. I bend the bow of bronze. So now we're going from defense to offense, right? Now, now, now there's been a transition. God's not only defending me. Now he set me on a path where I can go on offense. You don't score. You can't win the game, folks, right? It's a fact of life. I don't care how good your defense is. Nobody ever scores. You don't ever win. So, so God sets all this up on the defense and then sets him up on the offense. 
And David understands that every good work he did, he's doing out of gratitude for God. Every good work he does, he was equipped by God to carry out every single one of them. Do you understand what God's equipping you to do? And are you carrying it out that way? The gospel is so much more than just fire insurance. It's more than a way to heaven. It ought to be impacting the way we live our life daily. And if it's not impacting the way we live our life daily, we're missing it, man. It means I get to do, not I got to do. I get to do the good works that God prepared in advance for me to do out of a gratitude of what he's done for me. And some well-meaning Christians are missing that, thinking they've got to, you know, one up and earn God's thing. No, God's equipping you to use the gifts that he's blessed you with, to use the testimonies to get stuff done. Listen to this. Philippians 2. Dearest friends, you were always so careful to follow my instructions when I was with you. Isn't that like the church, right? Behave when the pastor's there. I mean, not you guys. I'm just talking about like other other churches, right? Paul then writes the church he started. Now I'm away. You got to be even more careful to put into action God's saving work in your lives. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, going to give you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. Now, if you've got your Bible, I, I read that in the New Living because I want to make sure we understand. A lot of y'all know the translation of work out uh, salvation with fear and trembling. Right. Everybody's probably heard, heard it that way. Or at least if you've been in church any amount of time, you, you've heard it that way. But but that New Living says it this way. You can only do it because he gives you the desire and the power to do it. And that's so right. If you don't have a godly desire and you don't have a godly power, you can't do it. That's something we realized weeks ago with James when it talks about loving, loving, loving your enemies, loving people you don't like. Loving sinners. Loving pedophiles. Oh. I'm with you in that struggle. And I'm telling you, it's impossible fleshly and worldly. But I'd be a fool to say that somebody's past can't be corrected by God. And I'm going to be honest, I'm I'm struggling with it, okay? So I'm with you. Understand that. So this is more God speaking than me. But if we can't let somebody's past go in spite of what God can do for their future, we need to shut this Bible, lock the doors, leave, and never come back. Right? And that doesn't just apply to the one that hit home just now. That applies to all sinners. All cheaters. All gossip spreaders, all with a filthy mouth, all those who made mistakes, all those who fall, all those who have fallen more than you've fallen, all those who have fallen differently than you've fallen. Right? We, we got to, man. Everybody's like, man, I like this sermon until just now, Pastor. You just really, I liked it too until then. Right? That's a rough one, man. But you can only do it through the power of God is what he's saying. And what we realized in James a few weeks ago when it talked about loving all them is we can't do it on our own. Like if we don't have the power of God inside of us getting us to to do this, then we can't do it. Now, for some of you may not want to misunderstand what I'm saying here, you're also called to defend people who are still in bad situations, okay? So I'm talking, when I talk about redeemed, I'm talking about redeemed. That's different than somebody who's wallowing in sin. I felt the need to throw that out there just to make sure we're clear. Okay? So I, I will punch the crap out of one if he's actively in, but we will squeeze him tightly if he's getting redeemed. Right? <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Verse 29. I like this picture. I told you I was just grab a couple of pictures. The Lord shall enlighten my darkness. The first thing David, the first thing God does for David when he when he when he does all this is he brings light. Here's why. Great strength and great skill don't help much if you can't see 
what's in front of you. Right? No matter how strong, how skilled you are, if you can't see what's in front of you, it ain't going to do no good. I consider myself kind of strong, you know, decent shape. Walk around the house and stump a toe. I'm done. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like it's prayer time right there. Nothing else can go on for the rest of the, the six minutes. That's time limit, right? <laughs> we we got to understand this. Great strength and skill don't help much if we don't have, uh, if we can't see what's in front of us. Verse 31. He's a shield to those who trust in him. God brings us this protection. God could see, or David could see with light and stand in God's strength, but he still needed supernatural protection. That's a vital link. Which leads us to this last point, number number six, or letter L. If you hadn't figured out, we're spelling gospel yet. <laughs> Lift my praise to God. I was so excited two weeks ago when I came out. I was like, Laura Lou, I'm doing a Laura Lou special. Uh, if y'all know Laura, she knows she likes some acrostics. Ah, man. She likes acrostics too, okay? Acrostics and acronyms. Ask her. She'll comment right now on Facebook and tell you she likes both of them, huh? Last one, L number six, stupid acronym. Lift my voice to God. 47 through 50, man, right? This, this thing wraps it up. David looks back over the gospel that's been at work in his life, and he can't do anything but like break out into praise for God. He's so excited about what's going on. God revealed himself to David. God reached down to rescue David. Uh, David placed his trust in God's work. God equipped him and enabled him to accomplish God's purpose. It was all about God. So David says, you know what? I got to praise God because God has been working. God has worked and God will work in my life. If he takes care of my sin, I'm going to give him the praise for it. As he equips me to get through stuff, I'm going to give him the praise for it. Verse 49, he delivers me from my enemies. And, and I, I love this. I got to point this out. If, if you got your Bible, you need to underline it. Underline the word he and then underline the word you. This whole last section, he interchanges between the he and the you. He delivers me from my enemies. You lift me up. You're thinking, man, why is that so important? Because David is moving back and forth from speaking about God to speaking to God. It just shows us this, this smallest lesson you probably get in, in the old day. In praise, you got to do both. You got to talk about God and then you got to talk to God. And then you can do the other one and then the other one. And then you keep doing it back and forth until they, they just flow together like steps of a running man. Right. That's what David's doing. He's talking about God and he's talking to God. There's praises and room for both in this verse 50. And I'm going to sing your praises. Spurgeon has a quote on this verse that says to be saved. Singing is to be saved. Indeed, many are saved mourning and doubting. But David had such faith that he could fight singing. And with the battle, a song still on his lips. I like that because I can picture David like singing some of this stuff before he goes into battle. You know, like he's up there on that on that hill getting ready to charge and he's just singing, like busting out to one of these these worship songs. Right. Getting into it. Get, getting ready. You know, our boys, they got to listen to their their jam before every game. So that's, that's the, what they call the hype music. They got to get hyped up. David has some hype music before battle. And, and it was praises and, and, and worship to God. Look back at verse 50. Though. It says something even more. Therefore, I give thanks to you among the nations. Does anybody's translation have among the heathens? You laugh. Somebody's got to have it. Come on. Yeah, you're holy people right there. See, you people who laughed, you didn't know. There's holy people in the room that got better translation than you. No, both work. Because when it says about the nations, who's he talking about? Those outside the covenant of God, which are then called heathens. But, but look at what it says in verse 50 for us today. God, I'm going to sing you praises among the heathens. Are you singing praises to God among the heathens? Maybe you are a heathen, so you can sing praise among yourself, right? 
Think about it, though. Are you? Or are you the mopey, gropey Christian that nobody wants to be around? Which way is it? Huh? It can't be both. It's got to be one or the other. He says, I, I, I want to sing among those outside so that they know what's going on inside. Because I've grasped the significance of God working in my life in the transformation that's taking place. Not just on a Sunday morning, but every day. Every day. Every morning it starts. Every every moment while I'm at work, it's stressful. Every, every moment on the way home, it's always there. Now, this message applies to every single one of us in the room, no doubt about it. You're either at point one G or point six L. Right? Look, look at look at look at them on the on the board as we go over. Look at that acrostic acronym thingy. Right? <laughs> I'll say them all to be right, right? Are you at number one? Are you are you have you grasped God's nature yet? All, all of us are at some point. You've, maybe, maybe, they, maybe that's where you're at. Maybe that's the starting point. You've never grasped the nature of God, and you just need to pray and ask him to reveal himself. You need to open the Bible more often and read it, because there's no place he wants to reveal his awesomeness except for his word. And then when you walk outside like David, you'll be walking around, you just, you'll see it all the time. Right? N- number two, maybe you, need to, maybe you need to check out yourself, observe your own nature, right? Maybe you, you figured out, man, God is awesome. Nature is beautiful. He is working. And I'm a sinner. Maybe it's time to acknowledge your sin. Maybe it's time to acknowledge I'm spiritually dead and I've never let him put the paddles on me and resuscitate me the way he's supposed to do it instead of the way I've been trying to do it. Nothing can rescue you except for him. Number three, stop trying to rescue yourself. Stop trying to put the paddles on yourself. Stop trying to earn your relationship with God. Stop trying to do enough good to overcome your bad. Pray. Acknowledge God that, that what you've been doing is wrong. Ch- change your thought pattern. Change the way that, that, that you think about Him and, and it'll change the way you th- He thinks about you. Number four. Probably the most essential step after you, after you get to this halfway part, right? Place my trust in what God has done. This is an essential step. Placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone that he's provided enough to rescue you through the cross and the resurrection. You're going to trust in what Jesus has done and you're going to be rescued. Committing your life to Jesus Christ. Not only that he's the savior of life, but he's the master of your life, which leads you into the fifth one. Are you excelling in your faith as God's equipping you? I think God has equipped some great people to do some great things and we've wasted those talents and abilities. I think we need to have a moment like David where we sit back and we're like, God, you've made me able to do Dot, dot, dot. I am going to do dot, dot, dot. I don't know what your, your, your gift and your equipping is. But I guarantee you, I guarantee you right now, as we think about this section, God's revealing to you something he's blessed you to do. And right now you're thinking, man, I need to do more of that. I need to do better of that. I need to actually start using it. Or if you don't know what it is, maybe your prayer is just, God, please, please reveal to me what you've equipped me to do. Please reveal to me what, what you've allowed me to see. Ask God for that desire. Not only, not only to find out what it is, but a desire to fulfill it as well. And then the power to carry it out. And then that last one, lift my praises to God. Some of you right now got some pretty blessed lives. And it's because you've been living out the gospel. And that's okay. I don't want you to feel guilty about that. I think sometimes we think like in the church world, like our reward is only heaven. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I would only want to join. Now don't get wrong, I understand the concept of eternity and heaven, so I do. But I'm thinking, like, we do an ill justice to the world outside if we make them think the only reward is when we're dead. You know what I'm saying? Hey, you want to join my team? When you die, you get a reward. 
How about while we're alive? Is there not rewards for the living? Is there not blessings on your life all the time? Is there not significant things that God is doing for you, in you, through you, through other people in the body of Christ? Church, if we miss the fact of understanding that like there's blessings and rewards right now, we've done an ill justice to the gospel. David understands like this, this gospel is, is more than just what we're going to call the good news of salvation. It's the good news of everything. It's good news that God has an awesome nature. It's good news that I realize I don't have that nature. Because if God's standard is holiness, I have to realize that before I can get in, right? It's good news that I can stop rescuing myself. You imagine what that person who's been paddling their arms in the water, swinging around forever, which I know is probably only like three or four minutes you can keep afloat. But you imagine what they feel like? They're exhausted. Could you imagine doing that for years spiritually? And how exhausted you probably feel. Some of you right now probably feel exhausted because you've been trying to rescue yourself. Man, the good news of not having to rescue yourself. The good news of placing trust in what God has done. The good news of that cross. The good news of him parting heaven and shaking the earth. I love David's visuals, man. God just shook the earth to get everything to fall into place. You ever, anybody ever worked on anything and it didn't go the way you wanted it to go, so you shake it? None of you men want to confess that? That's how I do it. And if that doesn't work, I will hit it with a hammer. Okay? I'm, I'm that kind of mechanic. Right? I like the old starter that you can hit with a hammer when it ain't working, and it'll, it'll magically work with that hammer shot. Shakes things up enough to get it working, right? That's it, though. That's it. And then lifting praises to God. God, thank you for shaking things up and getting them in order for me. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. God, I thank you for David's words, both in this chapter and Psalm 18. Lord God, I know the areas where, where people mimic some of these words, these verses, these ideas, these concepts, these pictures, Lord God. God, I pray for the rest of the day, Lord God, every person in here and online that gets to listen, Lord God, God, they, those pictures just come to mind. That when we walk outside, we're reminded of everything we see of how awesome you are. Of your, your delight in us. And your desire to rescue us. God, I, I pray no matter which era we're at, Lord God, one through six, that you make known what we need to do, what we need to confess, what we need to put into action, what we need to change. Lord, I pray that we can all leave here worshiping and praising you because of the good news that your word proclaims. Father God, we thank you. We love you. In your great name we pray. Amen.